Buckle up, everyone. You are strapped in and ready for the Insurance Hour with me, your host, Carl Sussman, the resource to help you navigate the world of insurance. There is a lot of misunderstanding about what insurance is and what insurance isn't. Let me help you demystify insurance and have some fun while we're at it. Informing, educating, and entertaining Californians one policy at a time. This is Insurance Hour. Hello, hello. How are you all today? Thank you once again for joining us here at Insurance Hour. I am your host, Carl Sussman, and today I have an amazing guest for us. Uh, he's he's laughing already, but he is an amazing guest to have. I, I feel privileged that I was able to, to nail him down. His name is Dennis Beaver, and he is an attorney, and he has worked... Wow, I, I couldn't give you his entire resume. He has worked in and out throughout his legal career with insurance folk, right? Like myself. And that's how the two of us got together. He also is a frequent writer for Kiplinger, which is the de facto standard when it comes to insurance publications. So I want to, before I do anything, I want to give him a warm welcome. Dennis, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And I got to apologize. My voice is getting over this, this terrible cough that's affecting Everybody in California. Everybody seems to be sick or coughing. Yes. And 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 I don't think it's necessarily even COVID. It, it, it's cough. It's COVID. It's RSV. It's flu. Yeah. It's, it's just everything. And yeah. I, I've, I've given up. Isn't it funny how we've gotten to this place where we feel that we need to know what it is that we're sick with? I think it used to be that way. It didn't, right? We would just be sick. Maybe you would get a strep test, but that was about it. Now, somehow, we just have this thing. We need to know what we're sick with. Yep. So at any rate, just to remind everyone, please call in. I would love to talk to you. And so would Dennis. Uh, you can reach right now at 559-656-0317. And always happy to get your questions emailed at questions at insurancehour.com. And meanwhile, again, I want to jump right in and, and talk with Dennis about things he's done in the past. Now, I, I know one of the, the main things that I get asked as an insurance broker is when there's an issue with a claim. People will ask, do I need an attorney? Do I need a public adjuster? What What do I do? And I thought the best thing to do is let me ask an expert like Dennis, what is the answer, If the, as close as you can get to, when is it time? When should someone, when they're having, a, when they're involved in a claim and they're not having something happen or they're, or they're just not feeling something is happening the way it should be, when do you think it's appropriate? And if you have any red flags that they could be looking at for them to, to say to themselves, well, maybe it's time I, I look for an attorney for some assistance. I think the, the, the worst thing you could do is immediately contact a lawyer, regardless of what the claim is. You want to, first of all, try to work within the system with the insurance adjuster, with, with your adjuster might even be the adjuster for the other company. And uh, there are so many ads on television. We see them every day, right? Uh, that that, that these firms pay millions of dollars in advertising uh, or big, with big, big billboards uh, to uh, attract uh, primarily auto accident victims. And in my experience, um, it's the rare case where an attorney with, with a, a simple fender bender with, you know, you have some, you have minor, minor injuries. You go to your doctor, your chiropractor for a while. 
it's the rare case when an attorney can get you oodles of money more than you can negotiate yourself with an adjuster. But there are times when you, you're going to need a lawyer. And that is, for example, if you are ignored, completely ignored. You have, right. a, police, you have a police report. The other party is entirely at fault. And you've contacted your company, assuming you have proper coverage, the other company, and you're ignored. Or the adjuster you are working with um, is playing games. So if that happens, you want to escalate this to a supervisor. Right. Would you, it's, it's all, I, I would always tell people, and I hope they do, that they would reach out to their, their representative in a, with the, that they purchased the policy from as well. It's one of our values, right, I think, as an agent or a broker, is that we're, we'll try and get involved in the event that they're not getting the type of response they need. Uh, just put a pin in that for one second, because we do have a caller that called in, and sure. uh, we'll see what, what he's got for us. Colm, uh, how how are you again? It is great to hear from you. And you are on live and you're with me and the expert, Dennis Beaver. Gotcha. Thank you so much for taking my question, Carl. Sure. Um, I just wanted to ask, today, uh, I know the insurance industry is constantly having changes in regulatory, uh, uh, different regula- regulatory changes, sorry. Uh, how do you keep up with these changes to best serve your clients? Like what sources are you looking to to make sure you're staying on top of it? And how do you, do you have like a, a system or a process? I guess there's a question for both you guys. Well, for me, and, and this goes, this goes for both of us, really. One of my primary sources are people like, like Dennis, because he's involved in the legal and he's writing about insurance related and legal topics in Kiplinger, which again is the place to go for information. So that's the, that's, that's a place that I go. I also subscribe to the Department of Insurance newsletters. I check for different legislation that goes up. I have different Google alerts that are set up that have keywords that have to do with how insurance is affecting California. Again, I just received something a few days ago that was talking about Adam Schiff that's proposing a form of reinsured federal reinsurance for every carrier across the country. So I would say those I, I have any and all sources I can. What about you, Dennis? How do you keep up? Same way. Uh, the newsletters, Google. Um, basically, you've described exactly what I what I do. Same thing. Yeah, yeah I, I would say everywhere and anywhere you can is where you want to keep get your information yeah. to keep up because everything is changing always for sure. Gotcha. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks for calling in. So we were talking about when when you when to get an attorney. So my feeling, and you 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 and I are on the same page with this, is if you need an attorney, try everything first. I guess is really the takeaway, right? Try to the adjuster. If you just can't get satisfaction, go to your agent or broker. And as an absolute last resort, then you look to get an attorney. Is that a fair summation? Yeah. For example, when we had the terrible rains last, was it March? I got calls from people whose uh, cars were swept away in floods. And one of them said, well, I'll just hire a lawyer. I said, great, you do that. And then you lose probably one third of the ultimate settlement. Don't do that. Well, why should I pay a lawyer? Because lawyers have to be paid. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And this is coming from a lawyer. 
So I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think that there's a misconception sometimes that people think that an insurance company is going to respond differently to uh, an attorney than they will to their own client. And I have, I have family that have been in claims for, for, for decades. And they'll tell you they would much rather deal with the client than an attorney because it goes to an entirely different department at that point, right? It has to be looked yeah. at with a jaundice eye. I, I, I dare say they're a little more skeptical when somebody runs off to an attorney. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, it slows the, it slows the process down tremendously. Now, if you have really horrible injuries, that's a different story because then you, I would say absolutely. You, you know, you you want you want to talk to an experienced personal injury attorney, but if the typical fender bender, you know, you see a chiropractor for a few visits, or your doctor, physical therapist, uh, these things are very routine, and and there's a, there's also is a uh, misconception about how how cases are settled or how much. Many years ago, you could, you could say, or take the medical bills and multiply them by three. That's not the case anymore. Right? Mm-hmm. There are programs that the insurance companies use to evaluate claims, and they are paid at a much lower level today than they ever were in the past. Probably so more realistic to what they need rather than just a rough formula where having to do with their medical bills. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you, the experience I have had and I've written about this with the major advertisers you see on television. Uh, in one case, they settled a lady's case and did not pay medical bills. That's the first thing you take care of is paying the medical bills. Right. right? And, and it was just horrible. Right. So I hear you. You know, you want, you. Also, if you're going to hire a lawyer, try to get somebody local in your town and Google that person look at reviews, go on the state bar website. Has that person had discipline by the state bar? That's great. That, that's great advice. You never, you never think about that, but that's a, actually a, a great thing to do if you're going to check out is do your due diligence on the person that you want to have representing you. That's correct. Fair enough. All right. We're going to, I want to talk to you also about some of these, uh, you, you and I have talked, had had some amazing conversations and you've got some stories I want to know you want to share. When we come back from this break, I want to talk, I want you to pick one of your favorites that you and I have talked about together and, and then we'll share it with everyone that's watching and listening. (laughs) Yeah. California's insurance market can be challenging, but Sussman Insurance Agency knows the way. Trusted for two generations in home, auto, and personal insurance. Call 877-411-5200 or visit sussmaninsurance.com. Navigate with confidence. Hello, hello, and we are back. And we are here again with my my good friend and expert, Dennis Beaver. And before the break, we were going to talk about and, and hear about he has some stories. Well, if we got around a campfire, Dennis and I could sit and, and talk shop about this stuff, and we're both just nerdy enough to enjoy it. So today, I want I want to share one or two of them with you. And and I I think you would we, you would told me about a, a couple that came in for a, a divorce story. There was one you had, and then there was another one about uh, the um, I'm I'm blanking out now. The person that basically wanted you to lie. And I'm I'm trying to remember what that was. We there was a column that we wrote about it. We that um, we went on Kiplinger about that. Am I am I remembering correctly? Yeah, we had a very interesting story. 
a lady said that she, uh, her work truck or van, which was parked out in front of her office, the keys were inside, her purse was inside, and she had ten or twenty thousand dollars in the, I think the glove box or the, or the trunk. And my gosh, what happened? A couple of thieves came by and drove the truck away. And her insurance adjuster, who reads my column at Kiplinger.com, call, called me and said, Beaver, this is so much crap. I don't want to report her to our special investigations unit yet. Why don't I have her call you? I said, sure. Sounds like a great story. So she called me and told me this stuff. And I said, you left the keys in the car, your purse and money in, in the vehicle. And you're upset. What are you upset about? Well, I had a tracking device, a tracking device that wasn't working. <laughs> and if it, it was just working, gets I, I could have told the police where to find it. So I want to sue the tracking company. And the dealer that installed it. And I said, ma'am, nobody believes. I checked with three separate adjusters. They all said, this is total nonsense. This is insurance fraud, attempted insurance fraud. You told her straight out. Uh, straight out. All right. I said, and it's a contractual issue. Tracking devices, their contracts limit liability. All right. To, they limit Liability to consequential damages, meaning loss of the vehicle contents, uh, loss of business profits, things like that. So sue them. I don't care. They are not going to pay you a, a cent. And then mm -hmm. she said, then she said, you're, you're not a good lawyer. You don't believe me. You should believe your clients. <laughs> 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 Click. Click. <laughs> You know, what's amazing to me is, and, and I'm not trying to, to poke fun at, at legitimate claims. It's, it's the claims that will happen where miraculously the day the car is stolen, it has you know, the thousand dollars of clothing in it that you just were at the dry cleaner. And it's got, you just bought your new Apple laptop and desktop and monitors and it's all in there. And it just happens that it, all these things just happened. And I remember when you told me this story, I thought, wait a minute. And she's telling you, forget the cash. That's just, okay, sure, cash, right? Everyone carries 20 grand in their love compartment. Who doesn't? And when I heard you say that she said she left the keys in the car, I something came to my mind, forgetting the obvious the way that this looks and as fraudulent as it can look. My question to you is this. Do you think that an insurance company could have a defense to deny the claim based on contributory negligence. Absolutely. I want you to explain what that means. Sure. She, she, and I wrote about that, that she contributed to the loss. She made it easy, possible for the vehicle to be stolen. If it was stolen, right? The other problem is that if, if this claim winds up on a, a registry, this is the National Registry of phony claims or, or dubious claims that last for several years. I, I urged her, you know, to drop it. But, but of course, you know, she, uh, 
Do you know if she pursued it? No idea what happened. But, um, you know, I leveled with her. I said, this is absolute BS. I don't believe you. You don't believe me. No, I don't believe you. <laughs> Nobody do you believes think, you. <laughs> do you think that I say, nobody's going to believe you? Exactly. Two things you touched on there that I think are important. One is, is and I had I'd gone over this earlier in a in a show. Uh, I, I take it back. It wasn't a show. It was an article you and I wrote about on Kiplinger about the registry for fraudulent claims. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that there is such a thing and that, yes, the insurance companies they share this information. If there's a ring of people that are going around and doing something, then it behooves everybody yeah. to, to share that information. I remember years back, there was a, a, a scam going on where three people that you'd be driving, they would have one car pull up to your left. Another car would pull in front of you and slam on the brakes. You had nowhere to go. You couldn't go to the left. You couldn't uh, stop fast enough for the car rear, you know, and you would rear end them. And everybody was in on it. And they found they caught this ring because they were getting drivers from uh, different insurance companies at first. And and of course, nobody was catching it because it just right stuff happens. And then I don't remember if it was because of this registry or there was some kind of conversation that came out about a similar claim. I think it was two adjusters from different companies having lunch. It was something very vague like that. And this whole thing became unraveled because it was the same claimants, same vehicles, same exact you know, type of accident that was having. Yeah. So I think it's, it is it is interesting that people should keep in mind. And, and again, not all claims are that blatant. I think we can all agree that that's, that's just blatant. That you have to laugh. That's when you kind of have to laugh at, right? Yep. We'll, we will get calls at times and clients will try and, you know, they dance around a little bit. Well, I'm, I think this might happen. I'm not, maybe this, what would happen if that, I don't I don't poo-poo anyone for asking those types of questions. I don't because they want to understand. And that's our job, at least my job as an, as a broker is to explain those things. And I think unfortunately what people don't understand and you can correct me if I'm wrong is that if you have you filing a claim and let's say there are 10 items you're claiming and one of the 10 is found to have not existed. It's fraud. That could have that could be grounds for them to deny the claim in its the entire entirety. claim. That's correct. Explain how that works. Yeah, it's if you're testifying in court and they catch you in a lie, a jury can be instructed that they can disregard or not believe all of your testimony, so that you know, tell the truth. Don't 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 be an idiot. So don't if they've to. lied once, what makes you think they're not lying about oh, it? Of something else. Sure. Of course. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's that's one of the biggest, most important lessons for people to understand, because you hear people talk about adding their deductible. Well, that's fraud in another word. Right. Or when we're selling policies and people are selecting a deductible and they will sometimes just straight out say it, maybe even under their breath. Oh, that's fine. If that if they're, it will, we'll, we'll be able to fill that one with something before we have to work. I mean, they just say it straight out. And I always sort of cocked my head to the side and I'm thinking that you're, you're, you're basically telling me up front that you would plan to defraud the insurance company. And, and I never quite understood how that works. And so I'm hoping that people will, the, the takeaway from this for, for people is that you need to have a level of trust in the process and not embellish things. Because again, there's another word, embellish. 
that's not fraud. It was just a little embellishment. You know, it was it was only one computer. I said there was the computer, you know, and the monitor. It's a little embellishment. I I don't know. But those things matter. And those things can have an impact on, yeah. like you said, if it goes to trial on the validity on, on what is believable or not, or even before that, that if an insurance carrier can show that you are attempting to defraud them, that is grounds for them to deny the claim. Let me tell you about another situation that was hysterical. Uh, there was a garage fire of unknown origin. And my client claimed that she had 25, 35, I don't know, enormous boxes, the boxes of Charmin toilet paper that would be like been delivered to a supermarket, right? In the garage. These are big boxes, right? Because and, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. And and this is during a statement under oath, which is a big red flag, as you know. The insurance company doesn't believe or questions right. the claim. They take your statement under oath with a court reporter and all that stuff. She had it was a small garage, so it was filled with these boxes of charm and toilet paper. And it was a that's spe that specific, not just toilet paper. But Charmin toilet, Charmin toilet paper. And the uh, fire department said, boy, it burned like crazy. <laughs> so I said, ma'am, I don't understand. Why would you have so much of this? And then she whispered in my ear that she has a, an obsession with fecal matter. It's called copro. Let me get the... Now you have to look it up because I've never heard of this and I have to know. It's called coprophilia. Coprophilia. An obsession with fecal matter. She truly had a shitty outlook on life. And her boyfriend. The puns could never end on this one. And her, boy, her boyfriend, there's not a special term for him, had an obsession with urine <laughs> God. i don't believe this, this is too much i'm not I'm, I'm not making this up you might say she had a shitty outlook on life and he was always pissed off and he was always pissed off or he he couldn't give a, an shi you know what and and she you know and and so I, I verified this with she had it she was being treated with by a psychologist that was for real and wow and the insurance company accepted the psychologist's letter that she truly had this obsession, and they paid the claim. Now, I, it's not a great deal of value, but the fact that she had all these boxes of toilet paper was a huge red flag. But you can imagine during the statement under oath how the adjuster and myself had to keep from laughing. But it was for real. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sitting here with my mouth just hanging open and I, I, I don't know where to I don't know where to go with this. I suppose what's this is a little bit of the trust the system because it, it, there is a red flag. Right. Because yeah. this looks very let's just say out of the box. 
I, I got to yep. stop with the, we got to, we're going to have to stop at some point. This was very out of the box. This was not a clean claim. I just, they just keep coming to me. I, I can't stop. I can't stop it. So, and so in essence, we could say that's, that's, that's a bad thing. And we had to trust the system to do the right thing. So it sounds to me like you got, you were involved and the system did what it's meant to do, which is they had found a red flag. Yep. They found a way to validate what it was that was going that was going on. Right. They requested a way, they, they requested to be able to find some way to validate what was going on as legitimate. You were able to provide that to them. And at that point, they the claim was able to proceed. And that yep. is a part of what we started with today about attorneys are not attorneys. Some people would have just run to an attorney because of the red flag aspect and they would be concerned they were being asked too many questions. So I think the takeaway from this, even this, this bizarre example <laughs> is that with insurance claims, it does make sense. You should always try and trust the system first. Yep. I agree. Trust the system first. I agree. That uh, is... <laughs> I just don't know where to go. I just don't know where to go with that, Dennis. It's uh, you you can't you can't make this stuff up. But while 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 we're talking about um claims, when we come back from a quick break, I want you to tell me a little bit about how you got into what you're doing. What attracted you to this aspect of the law? And uh, and then maybe I'll get lucky, we'll get another good story. I don't know if you could top that one, but we'll try right after this. Facing the maze of California's insurance market? Let Sussman Insurance Agency be your ally. Expertise in all personal insurance needs for over two generations. Call 877-411-5200 or visit sussmaninsurance.com. Together, we can do this. Hello, hello, and we are back. And, th- and this gave Dennis a few minutes to, uh, to, to, to tell us, to think about and try and remember how, what in the world started him down this path of, of law to begin with. And, and with this, with the caveat of working with uh, a lot of insurance folk. Yeah. <clears throat> I was in law school at Loyola. I had, I got a clerkship with a law firm, Mastery and David, Mastery and David. And I got hired, not because of any legal brilliance, but because Mr. David's family was from North Africa, French-speaking. He didn't speak French. But I not only spoke French, but had been working part-time as an interpreter translator. So he gave me a letter and he said, I already have a translation of this. Translate this. It's like 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 sight reading, playing music. So I just gave him an English translation. He said, "You're hired." <laughs> now they were a big insurance personal injury firm, and one of their employees had failed the bar exam several times. His handwriting was horrible. His grammar was horrible, but he was a brilliant negotiator. Mm-hmm. And my office was in the big room next to him. And I heard him on the phone with insurance adjusters. I said, put them on on the speakerphone. And I heard how he was settling cases. Mm. Now, fast forward. um, Masri 
was the attorney, you know, the um, the major case with uh, PG&E. Uh, uh, from the fires. From, no, not the fire. I mean, with the uh, water problem in Southern California. Mm-hmm. He went on, the, uh, what was her name? Aaron, Aaron Brockovich. That movie, all right? He was a lawyer in that in that, in that actual case. And we, years after, of course, I had, le- had left them, and I graduated law school, passed the bar, etc. So, apparently, your handwriting wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> I typed the bar exam. So I came to to uh, Bakersfield, joined the DA's office, was there a few years, and opened my own law practice. And because of that experience with that law firm knowing how to settle personal injury cases, I contacted all the chiropractors in town I knew, and they began sending me business. And I, and I, and my, I had a huge personal injury business, and it was very profitable. But from that experience, being in that room with this guy who had flunked the bar exam several times, but was a brilliant negotiator, isn't that funny? So you <laughs> that you you took you took a failure and from someone else and turned it into a career for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Now you said you you did a stint at the DA's office. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I was when I was in Lo- at, at Loyola. Um, I had a choice. The CIA NSA came interviewing, and I said, "Well, why not fill out an application?" So I fill out an application. Foreign language? Yeah, French. The guy said, how good is your French? I said, well, test me. Get somebody on the phone who's a native French speaker. So he calls 202, which is Washington area code. Figure out where this guy is from, all right? So I'm talking with a presumably native speaker, a couple of minutes, hand the phone back. It's well, he says, either he's from Paris or Lyon. Well, his application says he's from Los Angeles. (laughs) Los Angeles part of Paris. So... I inherited an ability from my father to mimic accents and pass for native. And I had worked through law school, translating and acting as an interpreter. Offered a job by the CIA. Didn't take it. Instead, came up here to Bakersfield and joined the DA's office and um, handled prosecutions for several years and opened a consumer affairs department. Then that led to uh, television stations, first one, then another, asking me to do live on-air consumer affairs reporting, action reporting. It was Mm -hmm. a blast. It was a blast. I love that. Uh, And I didn't do it to get well-known or or I I had no thoughts about this will help my practice if I open a practice. But that, that was the effect that it had. So... From the day one, I was never in the red, always really busy. And then I had an idea, why not write a newspaper column? So I contacted the publisher of the Hanford Sentinel. He said, send me something like, okay, well, don't call us, we'll call you. Wrote an article. Ten minutes later, phone rings. You begin next week. Send us a mugshot. It has been 38 years that I've been writing a weekly newspaper column. Amazing. 
Amazing. Well, you've got the experience for it. And like I said, you and I have, have, have you know, I've been in, I, I don't, I, I guess I'm not co-authoring. I'm a source. I don't know what, whatever, whatever I'm called. You know, you, I know you and I reach out and, and I, I help give some information on some of your articles and, and they're all amazing. They really are. And I didn't even realize you had that level of background um, in, in at the DA's office. I knew about the French. I knew about the French because I've heard you speak French before and I, I am not bilingual unless you count sarcasm. I'm, I'm fluent in sarcasm, but <laughs> I don't think you get anything out of that. But it, it's interesting to see that that's that 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 really that skill set really has uh, has opened some doors for you that otherwise I don't think you, at least you walked right through them. It opened up a lot of doors for you. You know, you had written an article not long ago about say about the failure of some people in raising an adult child. Oh yeah, yes. I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear your take on that because I know that everyone we we tend to be. And again, I'm generalizing, of course. No hate mail, please. We tend to like to not take a lot of responsibility for our actions. Is that fair? Is that PC enough to say? Sure. And you wrote a really interesting article about that, and I'd, I'd love for you to summarize that and, and tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, I dealt with. I think the title was how to how to raise a failed adult, and it was an interview with a, a social psychologist about enabling behavior and how this can create a future criminal when the the child grows gets older becomes legally an adult and and is still wanting stuff from mommy and daddy and if they turn the tap off parents have been murdered by kids that were enabled and the parents said get a job we're not going to keep on providing you stuff so you can probably find you probably find this if you Google my name, Dennis Beaver, Kiplinger, failed adult. You'll find the article. I remember reading it, and I and it reminded me not that it's for the same reasons of the. You remember the Menendez yes. that were um, they had some you know some defenses about abuse that went in there, and you wonder was there was there an aspect of what you're describing that might have been going on that maybe the parents had gotten to a point where they were you say cutting off, but changing, let's put it that way, the way they were going to be supporting. And I'm, I'm pulling that out of the, out of thin air, but that's what came to mind when, when I read the article that, oh yeah, that, that sort of thing can happen. And uh, what, what's, what's fascinating again to me is that parenting could lead to criminal behavior, which could lead to anything. I mean, we were talking about insurance fraud. Yeah, that's a real possibility. That's simply one type of crime. And it's a big one. And people see dollar signs for that. And there's a level of high-end consumers, people that truly don't even need to file claims. And I'll tell you from personal experience sometimes, those are the most aggressive when it comes to trying to get the maximum amount of money that they can out of their claim settlement. They sometimes forget that insurance policies are indemnity, right? They're supposed to get you back to where you were, not better than that, right? They're not savings accounts. It's not that, well, I've put money in for 20 years. I've never had a claim and I have this claim. I want to get back all my money now. That's that's not how it works. They're not, they're not CDs. They're insurance policies. You know, I'll give you an example of if you can afford to pay 
for the damage yourself. Don't necessarily make a claim. <clears throat> On the 3rd of December, our office was broken into. We saw it on video. They smashed in. We have beautiful French doors in the back of our office. They forced them in and stole a 32-inch LED TV we had for several years. <clears throat> they didn't take the remote nor the cord, power cord. It took something else. We have no idea what it was. It was a black thing. You know, and <clears throat> we're just paying to board up the, the damage. We're not going to replace the French doors. We're going to completely board it up. There's no point in making a claim if you can afford to handle the damage the repairs yourself. Because if you do make a claim, the chances are that your rates could, could get raised. So if it's something big, absolutely. Absolutely. Look at, look into, to look at an insurance board for, for catastrophic losses, not for, in, not for financial inconveniences. Correct. Along correct. those lines. And understanding that the reason your rate's going up, it's not because the insurance carrier is trying to recoup their money. It's because you're now falling into a different classification of risk because people, there are, I oddly enough, there are two groups of people. There are people that file claims and people who don't. There are the there are people that will put in claims every few years, whether it's because they're unlucky or they just tend to file the claims or what? who knows, but there are other people that just don't. So when your rate changes because of a claim, it's not the carrier trying to recoup money. It's literally because you've now moved from one risk profile to another risk profile. And, you know, I would love to chat with you a little bit about when you think it's important, as you're talking about, to file a claim in a little more detail and more significantly. And we had started with this about when do you get an attorney? When do you even go further than that and potentially go to your State Department of Insurance for help. Let's touch on that after a quick break right now, and then we'll see what you have to say about that. In a tough California insurance market, you need expert guidance. Trust Sussman Insurance Agency with a legacy of understanding complex coverage needs. Call 877-411-5200 or visit sussmaninsurance.com. Treating clients like family for two generations. Hello, hello, hello. We are back. And I, before our break, I had, uh, I was going to put Dennis on the hot seat and I was going to ask him, uh, he's laughing. I, I love doing that, right? Just to throw all this stuff at him and he knows it all. So it's, it's not as if he has to prepare. When do you think it's necessary? You filed a claim. Maybe you're having problems with the adjuster. We talked about when to go to an attorney and when not to. We're there. What about even further steps like going to the Department of Insurance or filing a complaint in some other jurisdiction? What what are the elements that would come into play that would that you think would be a realistic time to maybe start considering those options? What would you want to have exhausted first? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> I had a case literally like that some years ago, and this was an employee whose wife died. And she had life insurance through the employer. Now, typically, when you leave the empl uh, employment, retirement or whatever, that insurance ends. Okay. In this case, it didn't. She kept making premium payments. 
for several years. Well, there's times people that that group policies are portable and people can do that. So that's that's that seems legitimate. Yeah, and this was not a portable policy. This one should have ended. Oh, okay. Right? But she kept making payments and they kept accepting them. And then she died. So he put in for for the for the for the payment of the life insurance policy and the company was this was a major aerospace company denied it saying it was a work policy and it and, and it ended and it was obvious that they had accepted all these premiums oh well will we fund the premiums no pay the policy right they refused so i contacted the insurance commissioner in, in downtown los angeles and they got involved and they were very straightforward and they said to the company look you guys created a situation where she you were stopped from denying yes you know you she could have you're, you're talking legal jargon about estoppel yeah estoppel. I'll, I'll let you sneak that in if you want to explain it you can go for it yeah 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 you you created a situation that sh she relied upon she and her husband relied upon now to their detriment you could have said we can't accept the premiums You'll have to acquire insurance, life insurance elsewhere. But you didn't do that. So therefore, you got to pay the policy. And in fact, they did. So the, the insurance commissioner's office was very, very helpful. So in this case, they had filed a claim. We're not getting what they needed. So they eventually made their way. It sounds like they didn't have an intermediary like a broker because it was a, it was life insurance through their employer. So right. they didn't have anywhere else to go. So they went to find an attorney. They found one that spoke fluent French. Because, <laughs> and then you felt that the that rather than just suing them, or maybe you did on top of it, no, you no. wanted to, no lawsuit. You, no it, lawsuit. I, 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 it was so obvious to you that this yeah. is just wrong that you went to the Department of Insurance for assistance and they were able to assist you. Yeah, this was a reader of my, he reads my column. Mm. And I have never charged a reader for help, ever, ever. So I got a story. Well, yes, don't worry, everybody. I'm going to, I'm going to put Dennis's contact information and in all the notes. So you can, you can bother him for all of these things that he now says he will not charge you for. I may get a good story. And <laughs> if I, if I can help, I'm happy to. So I got a great article. And the the uh, surviving husband got payment of the life insurance policy. So I think that the in general, I would I will say, however, the insurance commissioner's offices, in my experience, have been less than helpful to the members of the public. They don't really want to get involved. Um, and if you feel that you've been a claim has been under underpaid. They're not going to get involved, typically. It's when you've been stonewalled and ignored that they most likely will pick up the phone and say, what's happening here? This one seems so obvious as well, right? I don't think sure. that there's a lot of people that are that are listening that would say, what? I mean, I, when you first started telling the story, my thinking was, how many months did they make the payments? Was it once, twice, three times, and then she died? Yeah. And you said years, yeah. how, how, how any, how anybody could have thought that that was going to fly is they're actually lucky 
that you just went to the Department of Insurance and didn't just sue because I could see a jury being pretty pissed off at something like that and, sure. and awarding some significant dollars. Sure. So uh, in general, I found that yeah, insurance departments are reluctant um, if they get involved in uh, typical disputes over the valuation of a claim or sure. who caused the accident, things of that nature. It's right. only when, when, when you've been ignored and it's black and white. Makes sense. Makes sense. This was certainly one of those situations. One other topic I want to cover with you today, because I know it's something that you've written about and it's interesting to me and it's interesting, I'm sure, to a lot of employers out there and employees. And that's the concept of discussing how much you make with the company you're working with, with other people that work for the company and the potential ins and outs, legalities of you know discussing your salary with your coworkers. Is that something that is usually a legal, you know, can an employer tell you not to, right? Don't not, talk about your income. Not Should, in California. Not, tell, tell me, tell me a little bit about that for the employers and the employees that are. Yeah, that are yeah. There's a uh, national labor relations board. Um, I don't know if it's regulation that, that states that employers can, employees can discuss salary. In California, you have been able to discuss salary for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Are employers and, prohibited from asking their employees to not discuss it? Is that, is there, is that a finable offense? Or? They, are, they are prohibited from forbidding you. And I, in fact, I wrote an article about this where... Uh, of course you did. Yeah a, young, yeah, a young lawyer just got admitted to the bar working for a company. and is given an employee handbook, which she said seemed to be very old. And it was, in fact, because it said, you can't discuss salary with anybody. So she had a Christmas party just, just, just last year. And, one, and another lawyer, also recent graduate, doing the same things that she was doing, got a bit drunk and said, and revealed what he was earning, which was more than what she was being paid. Overheard by a secretary who mm-hmm. goes to the senior partner and rats them both out. And she was ratting them out for breaking what the handbook said. Yeah. And the senior partner put the young lady, the recent admittee, on, on, uh, on suspension. Not the, not the guy that <coughs> revealed the salary. Mm. And she contacts me, and that really upset me. So I called the guy. I knew him. It's my town. I said, Tully, have you heard of gender discrimination? <laughs> Does the term mean anything to you? You can't do this stuff. People can discuss their salary, especially in California. So he hung up. Two minutes later, she, the gal named Stella called me. She said, Beaver, I'm coming back to work. He said, all is forgiven. You know, in my column, I said, she should get a raise. So uh, law that relationship firm, and work environment is going to be challenging for her period after all. She's, of got, that. To, she's got to get out of there. Right. Um, right, you, know, right. I t- you know, law firms are difficult places to work. 
And I think for listeners who may have uh, children taking pre-law courses, be very wary, be wary of the public relations of the, how wonderful law practice is and you're in this fantastic environment with nice people. I don't think and I've ever heard any anything anyone say good things about law school or and and the first few years in law school and the and the first few years when you're out of law in a working at a firm and and the amount of work law. I mean, I don't think anybody even pretends that that's good or easy or fun. I'm working on a story now. You know, there's a concept that unfortunately does not does not apply to most education and that is negligence so if your kid can't read in general you can't sue the school in general now um university of phoenix and places like that that had engaged in frauds different story right so briefly this is a a young lady who um did a pre-law major, which is the worst major you can do, got into law school. Which part makes it the worst major? That it's it, just it, pre-law it, it, or it, that she it, got into law school? No, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a nothing major. And law schools don't like that, but she got in, right? Passed the bar, gets hired by a firm, and discovers that it's not what the teacher told it was be, would be like. And was very upset and had certain mental issues. And the family said... Can we sue the school for mm. misleading her into this down this path? Um, and the answer is it's very, very difficult. So there's a lot of false advertising out there about how wonderful law practice is. It's not a happy business. Not a happy business. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I'll tell you, you, you mentioned if someone can't read, it reminds me that I volunteer for uh, an organization called Learning Ally, where we, we read books to assist people that are having trouble reading to be able to read better. And I'll actually, they're a terrific nonprofit. I'll put a link in the show notes. We're, we're just about out of time, but I want to be sure first, I give you my heartfelt thanks for being here today. And, and because you're so generous, I'm going to not only put your information in all the show notes for everybody, I'm going to read your phone number where they can reach you if they want you. If you would like to talk to the infamous Dennis Beaver, who will, will help you for free, because who else does that but Dennis? You can reach him at 661, area code 323-7911. And to everyone else, that's uh, anyone else and everyone else, I thank you so much for being here today, Dennis. A pleasure having you. I hope we can chat again soon. Sure. Thank you again. Everyone have a terrific day. I do want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen today. I know insurance is not necessarily the most sexy concept. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. It is important that you understand what it is you're getting, what you should be looking for, red flags, you name it. You just need to know more than you used to. Things are more complicated than they used to be. If you have any questions, please reach out to me directly. You can email your questions to questions at insurancehour.com or call and leave a voicemail at 559 559- 656-0317. Educating and entertaining Californians one insurance policy at a time. This is Insurance Hour. The show is dedicated to Shamrock Papa.